0: You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Micah Beckwith. Turn all things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, is what Scripture says. That's what David is going to find out here today. So we saw last week that Nathan the prophet comes in and he, he points to David and he says, David, you are the man that murdered another man and took his wife. And remember how he laid it out. He, he told David, there was a man, a rich man that had a sheep, that or or had many sheep, but then there was a poor man that had one precious little lamb and the rich man took the precious little lamb from the poor man and killed it and gave to a guest. And David said, how dare this man, whoever this man is, needs to die. Again, an unjust judgment, because God never said in Exodus that stealing a, a sheep is a price of death. He said, you just know if you steal a sheep and kill a sheep, you've got to pay back the sheep four, four times. But David goes a step further and demands that that man be killed, which what is he doing right there? He's making a judgment on his, on his own life. And so we see now that David steps back, and we pick up there in verse 15. And Nathan had gone home to the Lord and struck and the, had gone home, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. Now, this is a, this is a tough passage right here. Remember, it's, it's not God's will that any should perish, but we see right in the Scripture that the Lord struck the child. You may say, how could a loving God do this? And you're going to see that God's love has, has consequences. His justice is also loving, but his justice demands an action. A just God cannot sit back and let sin go unpunished. And and when we walk in sin, we're going to find that punishment. It's not because God wanted to do this, but God had to carry it out through the justice of his holy right hand. And so he struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. And David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood be, beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. And on the seventh day, the child died. Now, we're, we're gonna see a paradox here. If you don't know what a paradox is, a paradox is a statement that basically, it seems to, be, uh, it seems to contradict itself, but nonetheless is, is true. So this whole idea of forgiveness, it's both a free gift but it's also a very costly gift. We're seeing that right now that we, David is is literally experiencing the price that this forgiveness is going to cost him. It's gonna cost him his son. A son of David was the substitute for his sins. Boy, that's, that's heavy stuff. And again, it is not God's will that any should perish is what scripture says, but because of free will. Remember, God is the God of liberty. We talk about liberty a lot at this church. We love stewarding liberty. We love stewarding what God has given us in this nation. But remember, when God put the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, you could say, Lord, why did you put that tree there? If you would have just left that tree out, we would have none of this nonsense going on in our culture today. We'd still be, we'd still be like shooting hoops with Adam, right? not wearing any clothes which is completely weird okay <laughs> no, now everyone's got oh seriously micah come on man under the mental image but serious like that's we wouldn't have any of the sin or the nonsense or the shame or the just the junk filling our lives in our world today had god not put that tree in the garden but for the sake of liberty this is how much god loves liberty he literally knew what was going to happen, but he said, liberty is so important that I'm going to put this tree in the garden. You, Adam and Eve, you, man and woman, you need to steward this gift of liberty well. God, I would say the second greatest gift that God has ever given mankind, second to him, him giving of himself, is the gift of free will, the gift of liberty, which America, our, our, our founders understood this. They, this is why America has become a great nation. It's not because we're something special. It's because we understand who is behind the gift of liberty. And so we walk down that path and God says, you're honoring me, I'm going to bless you. But if you dishonor me, I cannot bless you. And there will be curses that come upon you there will be consequences because I am a just God and we see this right now that David is going through the exact same thing he is living the high life and remember I take you all the way back to chapter 11 we're in chapter 12 but the beginning of chapter 11 if you weren't with us this is the this is the crux of how all of this happened it says and in the springtime when all the kings go out to war David stayed home He should have been at war with his men and he wasn't because he got lazy and he got complacent because it was good times. And he stayed home and what happens? When he stayed home, he got up late. He went out to his balcony. He saw a beautiful woman taking a bath. Her name was Bathsheba. And now it spirals out of control. Had David just been where God had called him to be, none of this would have ever happened. That's the whole crux of this whole story. And now you're gonna see consequences and troubles arise because of David's transgressions. But had he been at war with his men, we may not even know who Bathsheba is. We may not know any of this story, but we do because of man's free will. But God, one of the best lines in all of scripture, but God, God stepped in. And even in David's failings, you're going to see God's hand move and his goodness move and weave things together. He doesn't absolve David of the consequences. Like what we see right here, a son of David became the substitute for his sin, Verse 18b, David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. Okay, so they're saying David wouldn't eat, he wouldn't get up off the ground, he was mourning with sackcloth and ashes. If we tell him that the child has now died, he might go ballistic. He might do something to us, or worse, he might do something to himself, is what they're thinking. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. And he says, is the child dead? Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground after he washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped, just like what we did this morning, just like what we're doing right now, coming into the house of the Lord and worshiping. David gets up and goes into the house of the the Lord and worships. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. So see, here in the Jewish custom, the the culture would call for mourning after someone died, not before someone died. Before someone died, you're not mourning. There's hope, you're holding on to hope. And then someone dies, and then you go into the time of sackcloth and ashes in the morning and the remembrance. But he, David seemingly does it the other way. And the, and the servants, they were saying, hey, David's going to be suicidal if we tell him that his child has now died, because look at how bad he was taking it before the child died. He's just going to go worse, and yet it's the opposite. David gets up, cleans himself up, goes into the house of the Lord, worships. And then eats, and the servants are kind of perplexed. They're like, what is happening with, with David? And David answers them in verse 22, and he says this. While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. This is... This is why David has a heart after God's own heart, is what Scripture says. He recognizes the nature of God. To to David, grace is not just a doctrinal concept. He didn't go to theological, to seminary, to school of theology, and learn about grace being the unmerited favor of God, right? he, He recognized that grace is the nature of God. We, we sometimes hear the word grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, right? We, we know that song. But do you really understand that grace is in God's nature? David, what he was doing here, he was saying, he was saying this is not just a concept that God deals in, this is God's very nature. He's a gracious God, maybe if I go to him, he will forgive me, he will forgive the child, he will remove the consequences, he will, he will pour out lavish amounts of grace on me in this moment when I desperately need him. David was interceding, he was interceding for his child. David's intercession for the child was based upon his understanding that God is a gracious God, not just God deals in grace, but God is grace. And church, that's, to me, I... I, I oftentimes forget this. I know God's gracious; like, I know it up here, but I don't really know it. And I think that God has to do, I've got to do something in order for God to bless me. That's not the nature of our God. Our God loves you. He wants to pour himself out on you. And he is all grace wrapped up in one holy triune God. There's a story I want to read to you. It's an amazing story about one of the greatest kings that ever lived on earth, in about 300 BC, or A.D., there was a, it's a man, his name is Alexander the Great. Okay, so we, we've seen you know, the, Greek, the Greek king, he was, he was a conqueror, he conquered the whole known world when he was just even still, a, in our culture, considered a young boy, or a young man, you know, in his 20s. And he's, he's at the height of his power, at the height of his success, and there is this poor philosopher in the courts of Alexander the Great. And the story goes like this. A poor philosopher at the court of Alexander the Great sought relief at the hand of the sovereign ruler. Alexander gave an order to his treasurer to give any sum the philosopher should ask. When the treasurer returned... The philosopher immediately demanded 10,000 pounds. In those days, that would have been a huge sum of money. I mean, it was just an egregious, enormous amount of money. The treasurer was shocked at the extravagant amount, and he refused to give it. The treasurer went to Alexander with the matter. The request, he said, was unreasonable, and the amount was absurd. He said, great king, you cannot, in in a million years, think that that this guy is, like, sane. He's not. He's, he's out of his mind. Alexander listened to the complaint of the treasurer, but then Alexander replied, let the money be instantly paid. <laughs> and the treasurer was like, huh? What, what? Are you kidding me? And Alexander said this. He said, I am delighted with this philosopher's way of thinking. He has done me a singular honor. By the largeness of his request, he shows the high idea he has conceived of my superior wealth and my royal generosity. He says, this philosopher knows who I am. He holds me in such high esteem. An amount like this doesn't doesn't even... He doesn't think that this is too much because he knows I am the ruler of the whole known world. He knows that I have everything that the world has to offer. And he also knows that I'm generous beyond belief. So give this man what he wants. I think that this is how David is approaching God's throne right now. As the child is dying, he's going to the throne, he's saying, I know God, I know he's a gracious God, I know I know his goodness, and I, I deserve everything I'm getting right now, but just maybe, God might extend that grace that I know to be so true about who this God is. David did not merely have a grip on grace. Grace had a grip on David. Church, is that you today, do you do you allow the grace of God to have a grip on you? Or do you continually say, I got to do something. I got I to gotta make it right. I've got to, you know, God is gracious, yes, but I got to do this. No, 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 no. God is gracious and period, sorry. There's no more. God is gracious, God. Grace, he exudes it, it. It encompasses him. He encompasses it. David has, has been gripped by grace, At the end of the story, David then comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went to her and made love to her and she gave birth to his son and they named him Solomon and the Lord loved him. This is the part of God's grace where the story really starts to just be amazing because yes, David deserved, David actually deserved death because he sentenced himself to death. Yet God spared David's life Gave him another son named Solomon, who becomes even greater than David. The height of Israel is David and his son Solomon. To David, that is, you know, the legacy that you leave is important. But in that culture, it was it was everything. What is your son going to do with the kingdom that you have you have worked hard to maintain and to steward, and then you gave it to him? We've got a little son in here that's you know going to be going to be maintaining and stewarding and growing to even greater heights than than his daddy. Hopefully, that's the, that's the heart of a good daddy, right? You want your child to be more than what you were or what you have. And yet here we see that David is now given the son Solomon and the Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet and named him Jedidiah. And this is, this is a, a prophecy that was prophesied to David long ago that your son would be a great king. So, even in David's sin, even in David's failures, God's grace shows up. His goodness was still powerfully on display, even despite David's failings. Sometimes we make mistakes and we go through life and we're like, oh man, I did something really stupid. I wonder if God's promise to me long ago that I heard, maybe you, maybe someone spoke a prophetic word over you. Maybe you read something in scripture. Maybe the Lord supernaturally spoke to your heart. Maybe he's given you a promise about something, and then you do something dumb, and you're like, did I, did I just mess up the promise? Is the promise now not gonna be fulfilled because I was an idiot? I've had those questions in my own head. I do dumb things. And then I say, oh, no, Lord, did I just mess up the promise? And yet, a repentant heart like David has, the Lord's promise still came to be. If that's you today, if that's you and you're sitting here and you're saying, yeah, but Micah, I don't know. Like, you don't know what I've done and God couldn't use me. No, no, if you have the heart of David, you recognize your faults, you recognize your failures, you come back to a God of grace, you come back to the God who is all grace, his promise is gonna remain true in your life. And I don't want this passage to be something that excuses your wrongdoing. It's not meant to be that. This, is, this passage is not an excuse for you to go on and keep on sinning. You know, James talks about this in, in Scripture. It says, you know, if you, if you have grace in your life and you go back and you keep sinning, it's like someone who looks in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what they look like. You know, you, you're not excused to just go on and sin, but you see that this passage will help you get beyond the despair of your sin. It's not an excuse to sin, but when you make a mistake, you don't have to fall prey to the devil's pit of despair. That's how the devil works a lot of times. He'll whisper in your ears, yeah, God can't love you because X, Y, and Z. God can't use you because X, Y, and Z. God's promise isn't going to come to pass with your life because you did this. I hope we remember this passage of scripture say if God can still bless David and and honor his promise even through David's disgusting sin. Remember he took another man's wife and then he tried to cover it up by murdering that man. And then he goes a whole year almost without feeling any guilt seemingly until Nathan comes in and says you're the man and he steps back and he falls at the mercy of a gracious king and he knows that he has been exposed. He knows that it's over for him unless God shows up. That's what this passage is all about. And I'm telling you right now, I, I promise you, there's not somebody in this room that's done the wickedness to the extent of David. Maybe, I guess, I'm assuming no one's murdered another man's uh, wife, husband, another woman's husband in this, in this uh Another, Yeah, I'm assuming no one's killed anyone, all right? <laughs> now, even if you have, okay, I, what I'm saying is take heart. God's grace can still move in powerful ways in your life, and the promise can still come, but you've got to come to the throne of grace, and you've got to throw your, your face down at the throne of Jesus Christ and say, have mercy on me, O Lord. Have mercy on me. You know, the grace of God is his forte. That's what he loves doing. He loves extending grace, unmerited favor. You cannot work to get God's grace any more than what he's going to give to you. Like, just remember that. You can't do something else. You can't walk in and get to unmerited. You don't deserve it. And yet he gives you the promises. And as I started this message today, remember I said, it costs David's son as a substitute for David's sin. But fast forward, Hundreds of years later, a son of David was the substitute for his sin, but the son of David is the substitute for our sin. See, see the see the picture playing out. See the with this, we call this series the Shadow King series. Do so you see how this is shadowing what is going to happen? This whole story of David is a wicked act causes the blood and the death of a of a of a beloved child and our wicked act cost the blood and the death of a beloved child. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the story here. I was talking to a young lady yesterday. I was doing a wedding, and, and she was telling me that she, she came out of the, the Muslim faith, and she's now a Christian, and she She's on fire for the Lord. Like about a year ago, she found Christ and she is just walking with God in such a powerful way. And you know what she said? She says, I always had to go to God in the Muslim faith. But when I found Jesus, he came to me. I've never known a God that comes to me and rescues me. I thought I had to go to him and do something. That's the story of David and Bathsheba and Uriah and the death of David's son. It's about a God who has not allowed you to stay and remain in your wickedness and just walk away in utter despair, but he came to you to rescue you. If you would, turn with me to Psalm 51. This is the passage of scripture that David wrote during this time. He goes before the Lord in this, seemingly in about these seven days where the child was struck ill. And he writes this amazing prayer of forgiveness. He writes this amazing prayer, asking the Lord's grace to cover him. And it says this, and we'll read the whole chapter together, but just let it soak into your heart. Let this be your prayer, church. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion blot out my transgressions. It's like the philosopher in the court of Alexander the Great, according to the greatness of who you are, O King. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me behold you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part you will make me know you will make me know wisdom purify me with hyssop and i shall be clean wash me and i shall be whiter than snow Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with the willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Then I will be a testimony is what he's saying. When you do what you do, God, I will be a testimony to how great you are. And this story is a testimony to the world. David could never imagine how many people in history would study and understand the greatness of God because of this story. He thought he was dead. He thought it was over for him and for his kingdom and for his family, and yet God, but God. And the prophetic words that David spoke here, then I will teach transgressors your way, is happening today, this very morning in 2023, thousands of years after this story. Transgressors like us are still learning the ways of God because of David's contrite heart. And sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise for you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. He's saying, my works cannot win your favor. And if they could, I would do it but they can't. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burn offerings and whole burn offerings. The young bulls will be offered on your altar. What we are doing here today, church, is bringing a sacrifice of praise we enter in to the courts of heaven. God loves our sacrifices, but he wants you to recognize that it's not your sacrifices that make you holy and just. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. And only Jesus, nothing but Jesus, can cover your sins and take it away and allow the promises of God to come flooding back into your life. I'm gonna invite the prayer team down right now and we're gonna sing this song, Creating Me a Clean Heart. We're gonna literally declare scripture by our voice singing and uniting together as one. And if you're in this room today and you've struggled, you said, Pastor Micah, I have struggled with receiving God's grace. Today's the day. Let the grace of God cover you. Let the hyssop wash you whiter than snow. The hyssop is the blood of Jesus. That's the prophetic look. God doesn't want good works. He's not, that's not going to be what sets you free. Just like David said, you, if I could give you offerings and sacrifices, I would have done it. God wants you to receive the blood today and let it go. When Jesus went to the cross, he paid for your transgressions. When you pay for something, does it become yours? Yes, but you know what we do as Christians often and, and as people in the world who are trying to desperately claw their way back into good graces with God, thinking that they can do that? They constantly take what God had paid for and they take it back and they say, "Nope, I'm taking it back. It's my mistake, God. It's my, it's my issue. And God saying, Hey, stop doing that. I paid for that. It's rightfully mine. Your sin is not yours anymore. Now walk in freedom. Praise God. But that's a hard one for us to get, get to sometimes. And if that's you today, we're going to have a time where you can just come and let the prayer team pray over you. Let them intercede. Say, hey, I'm just wrestling with grace. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, they'll walk you through the prayer. You can get set free today. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcast. Our mission is simple come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.